0: Well, it is great to have each of you joining us this morning today at Silver Creek. Thank you for coming online and being a part of this. Um, this is always an exciting time of year. Um, even with everything being different this year, this is still the point of year where we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and the amazing thing is, is that that truth, that tremendous truth, becomes our hope no matter what's happening in our world, no matter what's happening in our lives. And so this morning we are launching into our new series called three wise gifts. So what we're going to do with this over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the three gifts that the wise men brought to Jesus around the time of his birth. Now this particular story is found in, uh, in the account of the life of Jesus that was written down by one of Jesus' closest friends, a guy by the name of Matthew. Now let me give you a little context to what's going on in this story. Uh, Jesus has been born in the small town of Bethlehem. It happens during the reign of King Herod, and there's this group of wise men, um, you might have heard them called the Magi. The Magi have now traveled a great distance to come and worship Jesus. Now the historical or maybe the technical method that would determine how many men were in this group is a process that's technically known as the nativity scene on your grandma's piano you know those little ceramic figurines that are too delicate for you to touch as a kid but they're there but but or 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 maybe you've gone over to the the gas station over near Whole Foods like th- those are the methods where how we know that there were actually three wise men but we don't we don't actually know we just we just tend to think that there were three i mean perhaps it's because there were three gifts and so we think that each one like you know Larry you're assigned gold and Hank you get frankincense and charles Mer- whatever it is but the reality is we have we have no idea the, the chances are there, there could have been a dozen but it's tradition that tells us there were three plus there's the song right we three kings of are. we we just don't know for sure how many there were what we do know is that these individuals however they were they, they were wise these, these were very well educated men Not only were they well-educated, they were extremely wealthy. And these well-educated, wealthy men reached a point where they were desperate to meet the individual that they began to understand would be the Savior of the world. So here's how the story reads. Matthew chapter 10, verse 2. You might be familiar with it, but it says this. It says, When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like like when you hear that today, that doesn't actually saw, sound all that impressive. I mean, okay, gold, right? That's a good deal. Like we all know, but it is a baby gift. And then the scent of frank. And, and then, and then mer just sounds like somebody that's so cold, he can't, he can't pronounce the, the B. He's just, So these gifts, when you think about it, they don't seem all that wise. Now, now, thankfully for me, I've only been to a few baby showers in my life. But based on the reports that I've received from baby showers, I've never heard of the gifts being brought to the baby shower of gold, frankincense, or myrrh. So so these wise men, I don't think they're really up on their baby knowledge. From the outside, from the outside, wise gifts for a baby might have felt more like like a year of diaper service, Or, or maybe one of those new pacifiers that have the string that go to the animal clip. So when the kid spits it out it doesn't fall on the ground which you know parents today you are totally missing out on a great skill set when my kids used to spit it on the ground it was the quick swipe clean it off and then right back in their mouth or better yet the ever important snot sucker This is a critical gift when my kids were growing up, the snot sucker was this kind of blue-looking ball with a pointy tip, and you would push the button, and then you would stick it in your kid's nose, and then you would release the button, and it would just suck it all out. Now, apparently, there's a more modern version of this, where, where you actually suck the snot out physically, which feels like a step backwards to me. I'm not sure what we're doing with that. But, but all of those seem a little bit more practical, practical to me than gold, frankincense, Or Myrrh so actually this morning real quick in the chat Why don't you post tell us what you believe to be a very practical baby shower gift? diapers a set of you know, baby bottles a traveling high chair Wine of the month club, whatever whatever it would be what what would seem like a practical? baby shower gift, but we've got these wise men in the Bible that bring three gifts. And here's what's amazing about these three gifts that we read about in the Bible. These gifts are extremely valuable, but at the same time they're actually incredibly practical. And then at last point they're actually deeply spiritual. Now most Bible scholars would actually tell you that the, these gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh were actually extremely useful for the family. Which for us we're like, what? what would they do? But not only would they be practical and useful for the family, they would also be foreshadowing images of who Jesus was going to be, actually showing who he would be representing and what he would be coming. For instance, the gold. The value of that gold represented the kingship of Jesus. And myrrh, we'll talk more about myrrh next week. Myrrh represented the suffering servant, the, the Lamb of God that Jesus is. And today we're going to talk about frankincense. Now before I dive in and tell you a little bit more about the meaning of frankincense, let me tell you a little bit more about the practicality of frankincense and why it would actually be beneficial for this young child and his family. Now according to my essential oil advisors, and I have many of them, frankincense as an oil was sort of like the Swiss army knife of oils. It had lots and lots and lots of purposes. Oftentimes, we know of oils having a few things that they can do, but but frankincense had all kinds of stuff that it can do. And I do know a little bit about essential oils, um, primarily because our creative director, Amy, her essential oil game is on point. So she she told me some of the things that some essential oils might do. Some of you might know this, but, but peppermint oil if you put it on your stomach, if you rub it on there when you have a stomach ache, it can help relieve stomach aches. Eucalyptus oil, if diffused in a room, can help with congestion or, or respiratory, respiratory issues. If you put a little lavender on your pillow before you go to sleep, it can help calm you down and help you fall asleep. Or a little tea tree oil can help get rid of bacteria. And so all of these are helpful, but all of them are a little bit limited and what they're able to do. So let me tell you about frankincense. Because frankincense has got it going on. <laughs> like fra- so here's what we can know about frankincense. I don't think we need that screen- slide yet. Sorry. Frankincense. Let me tell you what frankincense is. Frankincense possesses antiseptic, astringent, carminative, diuretic, digestive, sedative, uterine and therapeutic properties I don't actually know what any of that means I just read it somewhere if you've ever wondered what does a pastor do all week besides preach on sunday well we look stuff up like that's we look stuff up and what we know is that frankincense was a very expensive gift, but it was actually a very practical gift. That, that word I used, carminative, I don't even know if I said that right. Carminative actually helps with f- flatulence, which makes a perfect baby gift in my book. But not only was that true, but, but frankincense was a gift that would, that would heal sicknesses and, and help treat wounds. So frankincense was a very practical, usable gift for this family. But beyond that, frankincense oil would be used by the priests. It would be used to complete the duties of the priest in the temple. The biblical scholars would tell us that, that they believed that the gift of frankincense actually revealed that Jesus would fall into the line of the priest, ultimately becoming the high priest. So if we're going to understand the role of Jesus as the high priest, it probably helps us to know what the priests of the Old Testament were doing. And the way that within the temple, the priests would serve and what they would do. And ultimately, the priests would serve in two... They would have one primary role that would then be broken up into two functions. And the primary role of the priest is that the priest was essentially the representative from the people... To God, The priest was the one that was sort of the inter- 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 intercessory between people and God. And within that representative feature, they would have two functions. The first function or the first role would be this, is that the priest made sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. So what that means is that, that a priest would take an innocent animal, typically a lamb or maybe a goat, an animal that had nothing wrong with it, no blemishes, and they would sacrifice, they would kill that animal for the forgiveness of the sins of the people. Now what we need to understand is that since the moment in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve sinned, there have been two forces that are at odds. There's been the the holiness of God on one hand and then the sinfulness of man on the other. And so often today in our culture, people don't want to actually say or admit that sin is a thing. People might say, well, it was a mistake, or it was a whoopsie, not sin. So oftentimes it's the idea is, well, you don't tell me that I sinned, and I won't tell you that you sinned, and you do what feels good to you, and I'll do what feels good to me, and, and what's true to you will be true to you, and what's true to me will be true to me. You know, it's the you-do-you you idea. Sometimes sin is sort of described as this, this outdated term that's just sort of used to trick children into being good. Sin is this term that's, that's a little less fun. So instead, we might use this idea about Santa Claus, right? Like, you won't get a gift if you're naughty, because he's making his list, he's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Like, that, that seems a lot more fun than sin, the problem is that, that sin is real. Sin is a real thing that we have to be aware of. And, and sin is ultimately any time that you and I or others choose to break relationship with God or other people. Anytime you take actions or I say words or we have attitudes or decisions or responses that damage relationship with God or damage relationships with other people, that's sin. And during the Old Testament, what would happen is one time each year, the high priest would make a sacrifice that would be temporary, but would be for the payment of sins. And it would basically cover the sins of that moment. And that, no, that day was known as the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And what would happen is the priest, they would, they would sacrifice this in, innocent animal. And then they would go inside of the tabernacle, and they would go behind this veil. They would go into a place known as the Holy of Holies. The place where God's presence resided. And in that place, then the priest would light frankincense oil, and as that oil would begin to burn, the incense would begin to rise, and the smoke would begin to rise to heaven. And as that smoke rose up, it would would represent the cries of the people calling out for God to extend mercy. So the priest would bring in the blood of this innocent animal and then sprinkle it on what's called the mercy seat, symbolizing that the death of this innocent animal had now been placed there for the payment of those that were guilty of their sins while crying out for God's mercy represented by the smoke of frankincense. And not only would the priest present the sacrifice for sins, but also the priest would then pray prayers on behalf of the people to God. So you have this first animal that was sacrificed but then you had the second goat. Again, the second animal that was completely innocent, completely pure. And the priest would begin to pray confessional prayers for the people. And as he would pray confessional prayer, basically he was admitting the sin. He was claiming the wrong. He was acknowledging the broken relationship between God and others. And as he would pray this prayer of confession, he would be symbolically transferring all of the sins onto this goat. And then they would drive the goat out into the wilderness... If you're familiar with the term scapegoat, this is where it comes from. It was essentially a goat that took on all of the sins of the people. And now this goat was considered guilty. Even though it had done nothing, it took all of the sins of the people. The priest would pray for forgiveness, transfer the sin to this goat, and then they would run it out of town to be away with the sin, to get away from it, to get it away from the people. So we've got these two innocent animals. The first one dies as a sacrifice, Paying the price for sin. And then the second one took on the sin and was run out of town, run out of the community, symbolizing that the sin has now been separated from the people and is no longer and the people are no longer associated with the decisions and the choices that they've made. Now we need to pause for just a quick second and say what we all should probably be thinking. That's pretty weird. Right, Like, like if you just stop for a second, like, I mean, if you've been around church for most of your life and I was describing all of that, you've been nodding along, talking like, yep, that's how, th- yep, we kill animals, yep, and then we throw them on an animal and we sit. If you're just checking out church or, or you're new to Jesus, if you stuck through all of that with us and you didn't, like, turn it, who turns off their TV like that anymore? If you're watching this in 1980, and you just turned off the TV, if you're still with us, if you're still with us and you're thinking, this guy is nuts. These people are bonkers. Like, animal sacrifices? Chasing goats into the woods? Creating puffs of smoke given to a, from a gift given to a baby? These people are wacko. And let me just admit up front, I am a bit weird. But that has nothing to do with this. Here's the key. If we're going to make sense of all of this animal sacrifice and goats running off into the woods, all of this stuff that might seem weird, what we have to begin with and we have to begin to deal with is we have to begin understanding that it's the holiness of God that needs to remove a casual approach to sin. We have to understand the reality of what sin does. See, because the holiness of God... And the sinfulness of man put us at odds. And if we don't understand the holiness of God, then we will always approach sin in a very casual way. And until we truly, means what, until we truly understand what it means for, be, for God to be holy, we will never realize the true cost of sin and the tragedy of sin in response to a holy God. The word holy comes from the Greek word agios, which means to be separate, to be other. God is transcendently separate, meaning that God is perfect in every way. He is flawless. He is completely pure. There, is no, there are no faults in God. He has no wrong. There is no stain. He is completely separate and completely perfect. Which means that God never speaks, he never acts, he never has actions, he never makes choices that break relationship with himself or with others. So he never sins. And really what we need to understand is that that holiness isn't just one of God's attributes. Holiness is actually the perfection of all of his attributes. So that means that, that the power of God is holy. And the grace of God is holy. And the mercy of God is holy. And the glory of God is holy. And the love of God is holy. And the word of God is holy. It means they're all perfect. All of those things are are separate and different and other than everything else. They are completely pure. And all of that otherness and purity of that all makes him worthy of our praise. And because God is holy, separate, different, and we are not, that's where we're at odds. In fact, none of us are holy. None of us are pure. Not a single one of us. Not even that really, 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 really nice person that you know at work. Not me, which none of you were worried about that, but not me, not you. The Bible actually tells us that every single one of us have sinned. We've all done wrong. We've all fallen short of God's standard. And the problem is is that sin then breaks that intimacy that we were intended to have. And the holy God is on one side, and those of us that are sinful on the other, and there's a rift in between. And this is why God hates sin. Because sin is ultimately everything that he's not. It's completely opposite of his holiness. And it disrupts that intimacy and that connection that we were designed to have with God. And that sin separates us from God and it breaks our life and it destroys our life. And that's why God hates sin. And what we have to understand is that God is not only holy. God is holy in his justice meaning He is completely just, meaning He is the ultimate form of justice, which means He must punish or see the punishment of sin happen. And so God is not only just, He's also holy in His mercy. He's completely merciful. And so the beauty of what God does is He takes the sacrifice of the innocent, of this innocent animal... That thing that should be given to you and I and that sacrifice of that innocent animal satisfies God's justness and at the same time extends God's mercy because the price has been paid. And somebody had to pay that price. And his justice satisfies that and then extends mercy to the people that he loves so much. And this is the critical response to God's holiness. And this system was created in the Old Testament of these innocent animals being sacrificed for the forgiveness and the separation of sin. But the problem was it was temporary. And the priest would have to repeat it each year again and again and again. And every time it included frankincense, which is where it ties back to who Jesus is. And ultimately, this tie is to say what was happening in the Old Testament, this old covenant wasn't fully working, but that there would be a new and a better way and in the book, of the, uh, the book of the Bible known as Hebrews, we get a great description of God's ultimate plan as he rolls who, out who Jesus is. And this idea of Jesus being the high priest, it says this. It, first, it says, For God's will was for us to, make, be made, to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sin, good for all time. See, God's desire is that you and I would be made holy, that holiness would be available and that it would eliminate the rift between, and the division between us and God. But that, that old process, that the old process with the priest, that, that thing that had to be done repetitively and was totally insufficient, God was like, let's create a better plan. And out of God's holy, perfect love, God established a new and better way. And the, what this verse ultimately reveals is that Jesus is the permanent and complete sacrifice for all sin. Jesus as the high priest, which was affirmed by the wise gift of frankincense. As our high priest, he accomplished what no priest could have or had ever done before. He offered his own innocent life because Jesus never sinned. And because Jesus never sinned, he could shed his innocent life covering the sins and satisfying the justness of God and extending God's mercy to you and I. Providing a way for us to then be separated from our sin and ultimately to be seen as holy as God and to be reunited. I don't know if you've ever done this, if you've ever visited somebody that works um, at a place where, where there's a lot of security or where you have to have security. Our son actually works for a security company and so we visited him before. And, and so in that certain environment, the person that you're visiting, they've passed all kinds of background checks or security screenings. They've been approved to move around the facility. And in order to move around the facility, they've been given a badge or an ID of some sort, right? And they display that or they, aware that, you know, they present that to the security or other people. And having that badge sort of creates this magical cloak, right? They sort of got this, this robe around them that nobody can actually see it, but it says, I belong here. I have access here. And so when you visit that person, you have none of those rights on your own. And if you were to walk around and start looking into closets and, and touching things, like security is probably going to tackle you pretty quick. But if that person that invited you flashes that badge and is like, oh, they're with me, now suddenly that magical cloak, that robe of access that they wear because of their ID, is suddenly draped over you as well. And you haven't done anything to deserve that robe or to deserve that access. It's not because of anything you've done, it's everything that's available that's been passed on because of that other person, what they've done, and their qualifications, and everything that they possess that's now been passed on to you. And so Jesus, as our high priest, has already made the sacrifice, and he's taken the robe of righteousness, and he covers us up with it. And it's not yours, but it's his. And so then whenever God looks at us, basically Jesus flashes his ID badge and is like, he's with me. The high priest flashes his badge and says, I already gave my life for him, and so then the righteousness of Jesus is now draped over us, satisfying the justness of God, and at the same time, simultaneously offering us God's mercy. And Jesus, our high priest, didn't stand off in a distance and just say, well, I really feel sorry for them as our high priest he came in and he got involved and he understands and he cares and he wants to be in it with us. The Bible goes on to describe the high priest and says this. It says so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all of these all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. My hope is that we can understand and embrace this truth. That whatever you're going through, Jesus understands it. He relates. He he understands the trials. He sympathizes with the pain. That wherever you're going through in this moment, He understands what you're facing. If you're stressed, if you're overwhelmed, don't forget that in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before Jesus died... Right before he died and right before he went and hung on the cross, Jesus was overwhelmed. He felt abandoned in that moment. He knew what it felt to to be overcome by that moment, almost to the point of death. So when you face anxiety, he understands. And the beauty of this particular wise gift of frankincense is that it identifies the human nature of God. Because this gift revealed that a baby was born. This new life was there. And this new life was going to need some help, some some remedies. Because Jesus knows what it feels like to be human. And that frankincense validated that he was human, but also that he would be the high priest that would sacrifice and give of himself. And not only would he give of himself, but he would understand the struggles and the temptations of sin. Which would lead to his empathy for our poor choices, for the times that we break relationships. And what should be most encouraging to you and I is to know that Jesus felt everything we feel. If you deal with crazy in your family, Jesus dealt with crazy in his family. It's it's a spiritual principle. Every family's got some crazy. And I know that many of you are sitting with your family right now, and and so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've got some crazy in your family. But if we were to ask Jesus, raise your hand if there's some crazy in your family, Jesus would raise his hand. Jesus also knew what it was like for his family to think he was crazy. When Jesus announced and said, I am the Messiah, his family thought, you're a lunatic. So if your family thinks you're crazy, Jesus understands. And he cares. I mean, think about this. Jesus was conceived out of wedlock. A teenager, a teenage birth, I mean, this was scandalous, Jesus was raised in a small town where where probably everybody whispered and pointed. When he walked by, they're like, that's the kid that was born to the girl that blamed her pregnancy on God. He lived in poverty. He was criticized. He was ridiculed. He was bullied. He was tempted by the devil again and again and again. In his weakest, most vulnerable state, he did not sin. But he experienced the temptation of that. He experienced the death of a close friend. He grieved the loss of family. He was accused of stuff he didn't do. His friends betrayed him. And more th- worse than probably anything else, that he experienced feeling abandoned by God. Because as our high priest, as he became sin and he was nailed to the cross, as he became that scapegoat, and gave his life for us, God looked away because there was too much sin in that moment. And God essentially abandoned him for a moment. And so when you and I feel like God has abandoned us, and he never does, but at times it might feel that way, Jesus knows exactly what that feels like. So whatever we feel, he felt. And whatever ways that we hurt, he hurt. And he's our high priest, and he sympathizes, he understands. And he's not just sitting up in heaven being like, well, it sucks to be you. Because as our high priest, he has experienced pain of the human body, and of emotions, and feeling rejected and abandoned. So imagine just for a second some of the details of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He was God, born in the form of a child who loves you, who cares about you. And then God, in His divine providence, sent the magi, the wise men, to bring some gifts, prophetically declaring the nature of God. Gold, that He would be king. Myrrh, that He is the suffering servant, the Lamb of God. Frankincense, that He is the high priest, who would sacrifice Himself for the forgiveness of sin, that He would pray prayers on our behalf before God. In fact, listen to what the end of this chapter says. In Hebrews 4.16 it says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. So, basically saying, based on everything we've just read, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. We can come boldly before God because of everything that Jesus has done. Boldly before the throne of God for his gracious extension to us all based on the fact that his justice has been satisfied and extends to us. His mercy is extended to us because of everything the high priest has already done for us. God's grace is extended to us because Jesus allowed himself to stand in our place. And as a result, we can boldly come before God. We don't have to cower. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to pray with all kinds of fancy words or get them all in the right order. We don't have to wait until we have it all figured out. We actually can't get it all figured out. That's why we needed the high priest. That's why we needed Jesus to make it everything right. That's why this wise gift of frankincense that was given to this little baby born in Bethlehem was stat, essentially giving us a heads up saying he will be the sacrifice that will make everything right he will be the one that makes all things just between us and God and extends all mercy. He took the sin and represented us before God and clears the relationship. And ultimately, here's why, is that Jesus is available when we need him most. In that moment where you need Jesus more than anything, recognize that he has already served, he has already sacrificed, and he stands as our high priest, he goes before God and speaks in our defense. He's already cleared the way. And this morning, if you have never accepted the forgiveness that is provided from sin, that, that Jesus has already died for you, or maybe you've had accepted that in the past, and maybe you recognize you've kind of ignored it. And this morning, you need to sort of reestablish that relationship and reestablish that you recognize that He died for you, that He came as your high priest, and He stood in your place and died for your sins so that you could be made right with God, I'm going to encourage you to pray with me right now. And accept what it is that he did. You can pray in your heart or in your mind, or you can say that out loud, but here's the prayer. Jesus, I recognize that you came to earth. That you came to earth and you lived a perfect life, and then you stood in in my place and received the penalty that I deserved, which was death. But ultimately, you did that so that I could be made right with God. And so, Jesus, today I accept that you died for me in place of the death that I would have to pay so that my sin could be removed, so that I could be made right with God. Jesus, I also believe that you, you rose from the dead three days later so that I could have life. Jesus, this morning I accept that for myself. I believe that that's who you are. Help me to live in such a way that reflects that. Amen. Now we need to understand that Jesus didn't just come to earth to create a cute little story and a reason for us to exchange gifts. These wise men affirmed that he came to take on the critical role that would require the wise gift of frankincense. And he used that in such a process to begin to reveal that he would be available to us in our moments of deepest need. So whatever the pain is that you're dealing with, whatever the doubt is that you're facing, whatever the stress is weighing on you or the relationship that's about to implode, our high priest has already justified us before God. Open the process up for us to come before the throne of God. When we've accepted what Jesus has done for us, it allows us to walk in and tell him our struggles, tell him our needs, tell him where we're desperate for him. And in just a moment, the band's going to come back out and pray, and play, and we're going to sing a carol before we go, but I'm just going to give you a moment to just go before God and to tell him what it is that you desperately need. Just give you a moment to pray. God, this morning we come to you with all kinds of needs and all kinds of things going on in our lives. And God, we recognize that our opportunity to walk boldly into your throne room and tell you what it is that we need and to tell you where we need you to respond is all based on the work of our high priest, Jesus Christ, who died in our place and cleared the path for us to be made righteous, to be made just, to be seen holy in your eyes. God, hear us today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to take just a quick moment and say thank you so much for the way that you contribute and financially support all that we're doing here at Silver Creek. Uh, We recognize that impact is happening, and so for those of you that are a part of that as well, thank you so much. You can contribute through our giving link there uh, that's going to be thrown up in the chat, as well as you can go through our website. You can mail it in. You can set your bank account, whatever it is. We just thank you so much for being a part of that. We hope you enjoy this last carol. Thanks again for being here today.